welcome to the Paradise Paradox. So today I'm interviewing Andrew Levine, known on Steemit as App Antraki. And so I'm going to talk to him about some interesting ideas, especially about a, an idea for a kind of game that he has. Um, you could describe it as a massively multiplayer offline role-playing game in which uh, you're constructing the game at the same time as playing it. Or uh, the, the rules aren't exactly definite at, at any moment in time, um, but the idea is, or one of the basic ideas, is that you travel around the world looking for certain artifacts which have been given codes so they have kind of uh, maybe special abilities within the game. Uh, he likes to describe it as Indiana Jones but in real life. So uh, that's, that's something, that's the, the, the bulk of our conversation. And then at the end we talk a bit about um, some other interesting ideas about Steemit and about <laughs> what reality really is like. So remember to jump on over to www.steemit.com slash at paradise paradox so you can have a listen, uh, have, a, have, a, have a read of the articles that we have on there, um, have a look at our content and you can give us an upvote which will really help us out and help us provide a little bit of extra funding to this uh, fascinating project. So uh, thanks so much and let's get into it. With a pretty good analogy, which was just, it is it, thinking about it in terms of it's it, it is similar to Pokemon Go, um, right? Like you're the one who's like, so it's kind of Pokemon Go, right? Or was that somebody oh, I, else? I think you brought that up, so that, that uh, must have been someone else mentioned. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's it is similar to Pokemon Go, except it's not digital. You're not searching for for digital characters that are fictional yep. digital the idea whatever yeah 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 you know uh, so, so kind of one of the central premises of the game is that we've become so fixated on the digital world because as a collective we understand the importance of it so we've become so narrow on it um, making sure that we can make all of these devices and get them distributed to everybody. Um, and I'm not talking about in a centralized way. I view like humanity as the whole. And, uh, and I kind of, one of my kind of first principles, uh, actually this video I, I just shot. So if I'm a little all over the place, um, <laughs> it's a bad idea to go from like, <laughs> thinking heavily about one thing and then jumping to the other. Um, yes. Yeah. But, but like one of the first principles I operate on is I look at humanity as the organism mm -hmm. and then I go, okay, well then what are the individual parts of the organism doing? How are they interacting? And then I see like how, how powerful the principles are that come out of that. And one of the, one of those kind of first principles is, okay, so, or, or one of the consequences of that kind of thinking is like, okay, so clearly as an organism, we want all of the parts 
to have access to these personal computing devices, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, there are sounds, people sounds here and good. there, right? I mean, it's just kind of obvious because everybody wants them, right? It's kind of a truism. We all want them. There's tremendous demand for them. Um, but, and, and so what happens is, and this is kind of actually what, what kind of always happens with technological innovations or, or sorry, technological revolutions, we're always innovating. There are always technological innovations. Every once in a while, they mush together to create a revolution, like the automobile, like the um, microprocessor. And what happens is we get so into it that we ignore everything else. And at first, there's tremendous growth because it's a good idea. And there's all of these universes of uh, products and services that we can do. But then what happens as the revolution matures, which usually takes around 30, 35 years, is everybody continues to be on board, but the returns diminish because you're fully exploiting this new technology. And that's what we're starting to see right now, which is that everybody is so fixated on the digital world, on creating products and services within the digital world, that they're neglecting the real world. And they're not using these wonderful technologies to enhance the real world. They're only using them to enhance the digital world. And like, I'm, I'm willing to concede that kind of Pokemon Go is one of the first steps. And, and everybody is kind of working towards this in their own little way, towards bringing the digital world into the real world. But as we continue to go forward, what we will see is the most successful people are the, uh, the most successful enterprises are the ones that integrate it back into the real world. And so the question that I was kind of asking myself was, how can you use these digital technologies to create artifacts like in the Indiana Jones movies, as you, you mentioned earlier, that really had that kind of like mystical power that those artifacts always had. Like as a kid, I always fantasized, you know, when you're digging and exploring as a child, or at least I was, I was, I legitimately thought that I could find something that had magical powers. And, and then, right. And it was like, and it was exciting. It was so exciting. And there was, and there was, there was almost nothing you wouldn't do in an attempt to find them. You would dig for hours and hours. You would team up with people. You would form alliances. You would, you would um, develop enemies. You would form groups, you know. And, and that's really what games are is they're about, you know, f- um, having a goal that's so desirable that it brings people together and enables them to work together to... Uh, reach that goal. And then the question I was asking is, well, okay, so, you know, how do you manufacture that goal? And how do you make it so that it's awesome? And that kind of merged with this idea of these artifacts. And when looking at cryptocurrencies and all of this state of the art technology, that I would argue is kind of epitomized within the Steam-backed monetary system. Uh, Steam-it, kind of, you could kind of think of it as Steam-it, but it's really kind of the underlying infrastructure. Hmm. When I look at stuff like that, I go, I, I, I started to think, 
I think we could use this stuff. We could, and we could even use augmented reality and virtual reality, but we could use this stuff to make those things that we all kind of knew were impossible, you know, and we, and are impossible. You can't, there are no magical artifacts, but we could use them to make magical artifacts. We could use them to create something that, you know, when you combine it with an app or with modern technology, it does unlock magical powers. Like I, I saw one, um, and sorry to rant on, uh, this will, no, this will kind of be, um, <laughs> okay. Um, I, there was one post on steam. It, it was insanely technical, but I was reading it. And I was like, this is it. This is it. And what the guy was describing, he was clearly a computer scientist, but he was talking about how to back up your cryptocurrencies in the real world to maximize safety and to maximize the inability to hack it or find it or counterfeit it, right? He, the idea was how do you take all of your crypto and keep it safe? And the solution he came up with was embedding it in real materials that he would then break up into shards individual shards and he's using like the most technical fucking language I've ever heard to describe this. So I'm like trying to figure out what he's talking about. He's talking about like geographical distribution and, uh, I'm sorry, my computer is, um, he was talking about, you know, distributing it in geography and, and talking about it in terms of computer science. But what he was talking about was taking a code, embedding it in a real thing, breaking it up into little pieces, and then spreading it out throughout the world. And that kind of merged with what I'd been thinking about. And I was like, wait a minute, that's a magical artifact. That's a thing that if you, if you make that into a game of searching out and finding those shards and then assembling them and then that somehow unlocking a magical property, it could even just be like the key to another puzzle or something that leads you someplace else. Mm -hmm. That that could be a way of accomplishing what I'm talking about. But, but in the end, I think that the real power would be unlocked if what you do is you say to the crowd, if you, if you simply assemble a large enough group of people and say, let's create these artifacts together and let's create the rules of this game together and then play the game and let the people who will be playing the game make the game and make the thing. And that is, in my opinion, the most efficient way to make a thing that everybody wants really bad uh -huh. is to enable the people to make the thing they want really bad. And in truth, this was impossible up until very recently. Arguably, and, and you could even say that Steemit is kind of the first thing that makes it an even a possibility because it brings together the right talent, the right technologies, the right people in the right, you know, way to enable this. But at least up until Bitcoin, this was impossible. It, up until the ability to create like limited digital things, I think it was pretty much impossible. So these are all kind of like new questions. And that's why it doesn't exist yet, I don't think. I think it will at some point, in some way, this, this stuff yep. will exist. You so, know? hold on, just, just mm, to clarify yeah. something. Uh, so, you, did, did you say that, that the idea is 
the the participants in the game actually create the object that that will win the game or that is that is part of the goal of the game well that would be the yeah so so i'm working on a few simple rules the the key idea is to develop like with any great game like i like games like mafia and secret hitler i don't know if you've ever played them Oh, but these, they're like role playing parlor games. Um, parlor games? Like, like uh, if if you're at a party and you ha- you have like ten people yes. and you sit in and like like yeah, uh, um, I'm trying to trying to remember someone's like like someone is the murderer and you have to determine who it is, some that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're they're like they're role playing games that just have a very limited set of rules, and then. Y- you just inhabit a role and then lie to each other and whoever lies the best wins. Mm. And it's purely psychological, but they're so fun and you get so worked up and you get so angry and you lie and you deceive. And then at the end of the game, everybody's just like, ah, that was so fun (laughs) because, because we want that in life. Um, and so the, the yeah. challenge it's like is, we do, is we're not always free to lie or we don't we don't want to lie in real life. But it's like, here's another world. We can just step inside this bubble and the rules are completely different to the real world. Exactly. And we can exercise the impulses that are part of being human in a safe in a, in a, in a kind of safe way, you know, without disrupting your reputation, without disrupting your life. You get to enjoy all of the things that we really evolved to tolerate, like crisis. Like human beings have a need for crisis. And we've kind of excised crisis from our lives. And the idea is kind of how to reintroduce it in a healthy way. Um, but that's kind of, sorry, that's off point. I mean, the key thing is developing these limited set of rules, like a very few number of rules that that allow this universe to blossom. And so one of those rules was one of the ideas for the rules would be something like the first thing we have to do. The first part of this game is we have to design. Well, I guess the first part would be design the rules. The second part would be design the prize, the thing that we all want. And part of my idea was to, to say, is to start by saying, I'll put up $10,000 and that will be devoted to the prize. So for example, we could melt it down and into, we, we could, I could use it to buy gold and we could melt it down and we could make a crown out of it or something like that. Whatever you want, whatever the crowd wants, but create something awesome with that money and then the winner of the game would get the prize and then they go, okay, well, how do you win the game? And then that's like, make the rules, (laughs) make the rules to win the game. And then you could win it. And like that kind of thing was so impossible was, was, was like I was saying before, like that was impossible years ago. That's why when people hear the idea, they go, that doesn't make any sense because it, right. But because it requires an understanding of these new frameworks like Steemit. But on Steemit, it's doable. You would create a post, people would comment, whatever gets upvoted, you know. If people don't like it, they won't read it, they won't upvote it, the idea dies. But if enough people are into it, 
and they contribute and we work together, even if they don't like my post, right? Theoretically, say we have five posts, people get really into it. And then I say something fucked up. And they go, I don't like this game anymore. I don't like you. Right, right. So if, if people are if people are really into it and I say something stupid and they don't like it, they could just create their own post and continue the game without me. Right? So there's no real bottleneck in this process. As long as people like what they're building together, there's there's no real weak point, which is really the key strength of decentralization. Is Right. So, so you build a game based on decentralized principles and then there's no real point of vulnerability or there's fewer points of vulnerability, higher chance of success. And if that, that, that process is allowed to proceed, I'm convinced that if enough people sign up and enough people start down that road, then what they would create is a really great game with a really great prize that they would really want to win badly. And then the, the kind of final point was that I, I, I thought it would be best if the winner of the prize be determined by popular vote um, of, the, of the players, right? So the players have to agree that this is the winner. And I also thought it would be best if you don't, you only hold the prize as long as the majority of players agree that you deserve it. And so it wouldn't be a permanent prize. You have to you have to keep earning it. Just like on Steam it, you have to keep producing quality content. You have to keep your good reputation. If you want to keep the prize, you got to continue to justify to the players why you deserve it. And if somebody doesn't like it, if somebody wants that prize, they go, "No, fuck this guy. He doesn't deserve it." You know, and uh, and so the game keeps going. So I'm I'm picturing like you you're you're saying that they devise the rules, but at the same time, it's like everybody has the right to decide if if this person has has really won. So it's like it's it could be like jury nullification. Like people could say, yes, he followed all the rules and and he won the game according to those rules, but. Fuck that guy. <laughs> um, he he doesn't count for you know for some other reason. And they, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of continuously fluid. Yeah, and, and I, that that reminds me of an important point uh, that which is that I want people. I would I would want people to get mad in this game. I would want people to get passionate. I would want people to go, fuck that guy, he's being an asshole. I would want people to form groups and cliques where they hate each other, where they, you know, vehemently, not not based on, like, their character, but, you know, based on their group affiliation, right? So that, you know, because that's, that's what, that's fun, you know? And also, if... I would want people to create their own games, right? This is an this would be an open framework. So if you don't like 30% of my ideas, please start your own post, start your own game, start building your own awesome artifact, magical object that is going to mesmerize and tantalize people. Fine, I'm a fucking idiot. You do it. I'll play, you know? <laughs> that would be ideal. That that would be really fun to me. But, you know, I, I haven't quite figured out 
how to how to really start on it, which is why I haven't posted posted anything or anything like that. So, um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just fingers <laughs> yes, crossed yes. it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it makes sense. I think it's a really great idea, but it's uh, it's it's very. I think it's a very difficult balance um, between how how many rules is too few and how many is is too many and i guess that's uh uh well i suppose if if you're crowdsourcing the rules and continually asking people should this be a rule or not or you know what it, what should the new rules be then you can then you'll naturally find a balance yeah you know um this is this is something i've kind of talked about uh in comments <laughs> i don't know why i'm mentioning that. Um, but a, a lot of people tend to think in terms of failure or success. Is Steemit going to succeed mm-hmm. or fail? Is, um, is the Hyperloop going to fail or succeed? Is Tesla Motors going to fail or succeed? And that's such a funny way that is so foreign a way of thinking to me. It's about maximizing your odds of success, maximizing your chances of success. And what technologies you can leverage to maximize your chances of success for accomplishing a specific goal, for solving a specific problem. And the wisdom of the crowd is a modern technology. Crowdsourcing is a modern technology that enables you to maximize your odds of solving certain problems. And like, I mean, that's, I'm literally just repeating what you said, Uh, but you know, like, (laughs) You know, that's essentially what you were saying. And that's exactly, you know, what I was going for. It's like, how do you maximize the odds that people want to play this game? How do you maximize the odds that the that the um, rules will be ideal? So, like, basically, the limitation on the success of any game is how much people like the rules and how much people like the prize. To like boil it down again to first principles, right? So a game is only as successful as people like the rules and like the prize. So the question then becomes, well, how do you make a game that the most people will like to play and the most people will want the prize really bad? And when you look at something like Steam, when you look at at new technologies, the, the the issue of innovation, the issue of technological progress is asking the question, okay, we made this new shit that we don't even fucking understand. We made a thing called the internet, right? They made the internet and they're going, and everybody who's an expert in the internet goes, we have no idea what we want to do with this, right? (laughs) Then it's the next step to go, what problems can we solve with this? And um, that's what... Crowdsourcing, you know, wisdom of the crowd, crowdsourcing, cryptocurrencies. That's the question. And that's why Steemit is so innovative because they looked at cryptocurrencies and they were like, what else can we do with this? And the key innovation that very few people understand on the planet is that Dan was the first person to consider and implement taking a cryptocurrency and using it to build a monetary system on top of it. People thought cryptocurrency is 
a people just made cryptocurrencies. They didn't understand what they were doing. What Dan showed is that you could take cryptocurrencies, use it as a commodity, and then use that commodity to back up an entire economic system, monetary system, and then build a social network on top of it. And then, and so the question, you know, I think we should be asking, or that I am asking myself, is how can we leverage this to solve previously unsolvable problems? And one of those problems is how do we create great games, a great game that improves people's lives, that increases economic prosperity, increases wealth without oppressing people, without robbing people, without encouraging violence. And, um, and that's, that's really what this game has become about. I mean, it started in a million different places for me, and then it all just kind of has come together in bits and pieces. I thought of it before I even, I, I, I originally conceived of it, and then I, then I saw Ethereum, and was like, oh, I think Ethereum could be used to do this. And then Steemit came along and I was like, wait a minute. No, this thing is, a bit, is an order of magnitude better for this than Ethereum is, which is incredible. Yeah, but it's, I, I think they could work together, actually, because you have this, the smart contracts with Ethereum and then, then uh, you have Steemit to uh, publish things and... Yeah, so <laughs> so it could be both. Absolutely, it could, it could, well, yeah, it it, it it could be both, and I think if executed um, optimally, it would wind up incorporating essentially every technology that we that we use. Um, and yeah, because it's like it's the ga the game the rules of the game are loose enough that people can use all these creative solutions. So whatever, you know, they could be inventing new technology to, to, to solve the problems of the game and get to the next step, ideally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that that's what they would do because uh, I, I talked about in a, in a previous post about um, the company Valve and kind of how they operate. And, and what they do is they, what I call they delimit their employees. They basically put them in a building and go, make whatever you want, call yourself whatever role you want. You don't have a title. You don't, you can work anywhere you want. They tried putting them in offices and people were just knocking down the walls and assembling themselves. And so, and they're a hugely successful company. They're, they they're the fourth largest consumer of bandwidth in the world. And they're hugely profitable. And it's because they go to their employees, they go, here's a bunch of money. Now make games that you love. And, um, and this game would operate on the same principle. It would say, you know, um, well, I guess there wouldn't be money, but the beauty of it is, okay, post something that adds value to the game. There's the money on Steam it. You know, you, you know, so you do get paid and, and how good of the idea you come up with gets a commensurate monetary award. That's the genius of Steemit. And so it would be like Valve, but even more delimited because Valve is still limited to like, you know, online games, which is cool, which is fine. Um, but it would be even broader. 
Uh, it would be whatever you want. And really, that's, that's actually what a good economic system does. That's really the game. In many ways, what I'm really talking about is kind of a simple, a boiled down version of the game of being human, which is coming together to make shit up out of thin air to fantasize about stuff that doesn't exist yet and then work together to make it happen. And the more open we are, you know, so like, like going to space, let's go to fucking space, you know? Um, but so, (laughs) but so many of that stuff comes from adversarial relations between populations, right? That's why economic growth so often defers to war, to weaponry is because the easiest way to get people to do what I just described is to say there are people over there that are different than you and you should stop them from existing. And, and it's, a very, you know, it's a very easy way to, to, to accomplish what I was talking about before is you go, you got, we need to build rockets. We need to go to space so that we can drop bombs on people we don't like. And so the question I've been, been dealing with and the, the, the question I, I hoped to answer with this game is to go, what if we could get everybody to want to go to space without wanting to kill each other? How do you do that? And so the idea is... So this is, this is slightly different too, because, because before you were saying like you have the like factions forming and they hate each other and stuff, but well, this is a, a slightly different thread where maybe everybody's working together. Well, it's both. It's actually it's actually both, and it's uh, and 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 they're and they're interconnected. Um, The idea is so 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 the issue is um, you solve that problem of people irrationally wanting to kill each other by creating an object that people irrationally want, right? So when uh, when the U.S when the people population in the U S hate the Russians, what they want is to achieve the goal of beating the Russians and vice versa. They hate, you know, they hated us too. So the idea is you create a goal that is intentionally kind of irrational, a thing. You just create this thing, right? We know that it's fake. We know that it's manufactured. Um, and so there's no reason to attack other people. But then in the pursuit of it, you still have to obey rules. You still have to strategize. You still have to work with other people. And yes, I'm, and, and then the idea would be, yes, to have factions, to have warring factions, but to have them confined within the game to not really wanting to kill each other, right? So you would have people, you would have people... Yeah who hated each other and wanted to destroy each other in the game. But they would know that they're playing a game, right? So, the, so and actually, this is a good point. One of the problems is, well, so arguably one of the biggest problems play, plaguing the world is that we're all playing a game, but no one realizes we're playing a game. They think it's not a game. And so they... When you're not playing a game, it's people are trying to kill me. People are trying to kill me. Uh, I need to get a job. I need to make money so that I can protect myself. I can, I can, I can provide for my my family. And 
Um, and that's, that's totally reasonable shit to be thinking, but you know, it's easy to get lost in the fact that we're, we're playing a game, we're playing a game called life, you know, the winner, the winners of the game are the people who make the most friends, have the most, um, success, have the most happiness, the people who work together to create a better world. Right? That's how you win this game. That's how you win the game of life is you work together with other people to create a better world. And, but, and, and so the, one of the ideas is, well, okay, you know, what if we make the game kind of explicit? You go, yeah, this is a game. This is the game over here. It, but it's effectively just a parallel for the real world. And, um, and, you know, to put it another way, imagine you had hundreds of thousands of artifacts that millions and millions of people really, really wanted and that they, you know, woke up every day with a more passion in their lives, a more eagerness to go to work, to do boring tasks, to do the stuff we all have to do to get through life. But it's okay. It's okay to spend a half an hour cleaning my apartment it's okay to spend five hours in an office doing kind of boring accounting work because afterwards I'm going to go back to this game and I'm going to go on this voyage where I'm going to interact with hundreds of people I don't know from all kinds of different backgrounds and we're going to work together to trick other people or cooperate with other people or work with other people. If the best strategy, in fact, I would argue that the best strategy will always be working together with other groups. Um, and and the, major, the most successful players will be the ones who cooperate best with others. And I will also bet that that will always open up an opportunity for a small percentage of players to exploit that tendency. So most people will be working together to would be working together to figure out ways to find these prizes and to earn them. And then there would be, uh, you know, a small number of people probably on the psychopath spectrum going, how can we exploit their generosity? You know, and that's fine. Yeah. But they have to kind of, they have to offer value as well to be a part of it. So that's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I got no problem with psychopaths playing, you know, and part of the game would be finding the psychopaths, finding the people who are cheating. <laughs> Press like on YouTube, Press like on Facebook, and subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Twitter at BattleAZ and Trouble Bubble and show your support. So I, I mentioned the idea to you about these, uh, this, this thing which is becoming quite popular, escape room or, or quest, where uh, you're, um, you're in a room and you have to solve the puzzle to get out, supposedly. Uh, <laughs> but you said, you know, they're going to let you out anyway. <laughs> um, and you said that the, the, the stakes really weren't high enough. So can you uh, expand on that idea a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is very similar in essence to Escape Room. You know, like that's why I think people like that game. 
Like everything we're kind of talking about is why I think people like that game. Because first of all, they're playing themselves. That's one of the things I don't like about other games is that the games I really enjoy, Mafia, Secret Hitler, I'm not playing myself. It's fun to act like somebody else, but I'm not being me. And so the stakes are inherently limited. And so like when you're playing Escape Room, you are yourself. That's part of the fun is you're playing yourself stuck in a room that you can't get out of. But as you pointed out, there's one fundamental problem with that game, which is that it's not true that you, you can't get out of it um, or that, that there's a chance of you getting stuck in it. Uh, you know you're going to get out of it. You know that if I could just... I, um, the least cognitively demanding way of getting out of that room would be to sit in the middle of it Indian style and just meditate. And just wait for the people who run the business to come in and, and let me out. You know, least that's how my stupid mind. Yeah, you know, so so that's how my mind works. And I, I was always kind of like, yeah. So we're gonna. It, it is. You're spot on that it is such a good analogy for understanding the game I'm trying to get at. But you know, the puzzles are made by somebody else. Um. You know, I doubt that I would, you know, and, and the problem with the puzzles, too, is that so they have to be designed so that what a majority of they have to be designed such that the vast overwhelming majority of teams can solve them. That's not a very hard puzzle. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. And uh, and and so the question is, you know, but but like. That's a that's a problem with their with their model, which they can't solve with old technologies. So that that's um that's an example of how old technologies are inherently limited. You have a person or a group of people sitting in a room someplace coming up with the rules, and then at a later date, other people go into a different room and try to solve those puzzles that other people came up with. One or two people, three, four, five people hmm. came up with these puzzles somewhere else. They come from a different background. They don't know anything about you. And their incentives are very different. Their incentives are, like I said, to enable people to solve the puzzles. And meanwhile, they know that if the game goes on too long, people are going to start to fucking panic, you know? And, uh, right? Like, if people can't solve it and you refuse to let them out, you're going to get sued. You're going to get, you know? (laughs) So there are all these limitations. And so... Yeah. and the only and the only way that I can see to solve that uh, as of right now is you go, well, yeah, you, you know, you leverage the crowd and the people themselves to build the puzzles, to build the rules, to break down the walls of the escape room. Right. Like that's kind of the idea is it's like escape room, except there are no walls and, you know, uh, there's a prize and you make up. Yep. You make up your own rules the people design the puzzles themselves. And, and you know, like one of the ways I could see it playing out is if, you know, you might go, you might have a thousand people who go, this is a good idea for a puzzle, right? But obviously if everybody knows how to solve the puzzle, it wouldn't be very fun. So instead people would apply to be the ones 
who finalized the puzzle. And then the crowd themselves would go, we like this person, this person, this person. They should be the ones in charge of finishing the puzzle and they'll get some kind of reward themselves for that. Obviously, they can't solve the puzzle. So anyway, so, you know, um, it wouldn't necessarily be the case that literally everybody would always be um, involved in every decision. That would be impossibly complicated and time consuming. But what would happen is that the people would be the ones determining who solves what problems, who creates what puzzles based on those people applying to the crowd and going and proving themselves and going, I'm going to create a great puzzle for you guys, you know, or, or really a team. So, you know, you'd probably want like a crypto guy and a gamer guy and, or sorry, or, or gal, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, working together to create the dopest element of the game you can. And, you know, you can imagine this game, um, ballooning in kind of like a fractal manner where you've got dozens, hundreds of teams all developing bits and pieces. And so when you would come into this game, there would also already be this universe of shit that you can find or search for um, in order to progress throughout the game. Like imagine you came into the game after it's been operational for five years and there's 200,000 players all constantly creating um, levels and goals uh, that enable people to earn points and potentially win a grand prize. And you can imagine all kinds of smaller prizes, you know, uh, the, the winning of which could, you know, might move you closer to winning the grand prize, stuff like that. I'm just, you know, and this is all just making it up, you know, the, part of the problem with this game and what yeah, makes it so, so, so hard to talk about is that the, it would be democratic, it would be crowdsourced, so it would really be about what, what the crowd wants. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> sure, sure. So, yeah, this is, this is really interesting because, uh, like, the, the goal of the game can be to create parts of the game so other people can play them, uh, <laughs> which is... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really fun idea. Um, the the other thing is about um, yeah, like be, being locked in the in the escape room, and you know you know you can get out in the end. Um, so it's not like it's not like you're walking a tightrope or something. And I remember when you said to, said that to me, I thought, so what's the? I mean, is the idea that maybe people can die uh, <laughs> in this game, which is maybe the the wrong way of looking at it. Though, you know, there might be some some element of that or some element of fear because people have to travel to India or something to complete the next quest. Uh, but the other, the other way to look at it is um, this, the stakes in the game can be, of course, like, like you said, like winning the prizes. The stakes can the, of the game can also be like offering something to humanity, leaving a legacy. Like you might, you might be um, not putting your life on the line in terms of maybe dying, but you're putting your life on the line in terms of the potential um, that you can offer to everybody else in the world. Yeah, absolutely. That, br- that brings up t- two really important points. And um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, again, like it's going to depend on what, what, what the crowd would want. But w- what I would want, the game I would want to play is that the, the, the individual who wins, 
should be the individual who makes the biggest contribution to the game, but more importantly to the world. Like if somebody comes in and they go, I want the prize, I'm going to make a hoverboard, like a real hoverboard, not the, not the lame wheelie ones now. I mean, they'd get my vote, you know? So, so yeah, absolutely. Yep. Like, um, uh, and, and, and so when you look at it as one guy's, uh, one guy or gal is creating this awesome thing over there and this person is creating this awesome thing over there. And if they're doing all this work and you know, they might lose like these, these are, these are high stakes. But, um, but the other, the other thing that you bring up is that, um, humans are very good at, um, creating high stakes with abstract concepts. So if you look at these stupid games, like, sorry, I mean, sorry, that might be insulting to the people who play them, but I'm not into them. Uh, stupid games like Farmville uh-huh. or Pokemon Go. These don't even have those kinds of stakes where somebody's trying to cure an illness or invent something good. But the emotions that people go through when they're playing these games are very real. And when you know when you're playing a game where you have an avatar that you spend years of your life developing when that avatar is wounded or dies, you feel it. You feel it. You don't feel it, obviously, quite to the level that you would if it was really happening to you, but pretty close. Like, um, you know, it's just like how, you know, one of the problems facing modern modern humanity is that um, we, experience, we, we experience abstract scenarios as legitimate threats like we're being attacked by a predator. You know, you're in work, your boss comes in and he starts yelling at you and you react like the alpha male in your primate tribe is slapping you around. Like you have that biological reaction. So just because people aren't actually dying or actually fighting, which obviously breaking like common law should never be an acceptable way to play the game, you know, hurting people, killing people, robbing people. Um, although I'd almost be willing to kind of um, acquiesce on the thievery if it was like yeah. <laughs> parameterized. With the, with the Wu-Tang Clan, they, they sold that album for a million dollars to, what's that guy's name? Martin Shkreli, Shkreli or something? Yeah, yeah and, Martin Shkreli, yeah. And they put in the contract, if the Wu-Tang Clan and Bill Murray organize a heist and, and steal back the album, then it becomes their property. <laughs> exactly. That's a great, that, that is exactly a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think sh- stuff like that should 100% be in it. I like spy movies. I like I love subterfuge. I want to spy on people. I want to uh you know, maybe assume a false identity within the game. Um I want to do that stuff and my life feels like it has less because I'm unable to, but at the same time I obviously don't want to hurt other people. I don't want to 
traumatize other people. So that's kind of the, the question that this attempts to deal with is how do you do all that stuff that people want? And look, if you don't want to do that, again, build your own version with your own set of rules. I would love to see all kinds of different games. Maybe I don't like spying on people and I'm going to want to quit my own game and go play your game because, you know, it's, you know, more humane or something. So, yeah, um, yeah but, but people are, can biologically feel every conceivable emotion even when you're dealing with purely abstract stuff like um, irrational prizes, because really that's what it all is. Everything we think is really essentially an irrational thought, <laughs> you know, right? So like, so, so like I'm talking to you right now, right? So I'm assuming that you exist. You're assuming that I exist. We're assuming that those two things are different, you know, that you're you and I'm me. And like, that doesn't really make much sense when you look at it. You know, it makes just as much sense as saying I'm talking to me located on the other side of the world. Yeah. But then, of course, what's the yeah. world? It's, just, what's a, it's all an assumption. We, it's like, we, we, yeah, we agree to these, these rules of the game. Let's just, let's just pretend that we actually exist and this is all <laughs> happening. Yeah. And know. hopefully because it's fun. You know, yeah, exactly. let's pretend it because it's fun <laughs> as opposed to what the world is filled with, which is people who are pretending to believe things that are awful and they're not beneficial to them. Right. You know, they're not making them happy people. So like every person who believes that what they should be doing with their life is working in a job for 30 to 40 years so that they could save for retirement so that they could have money to to effectively die with like <laughs> these are ir equally as irrational beliefs i mean i'm not saying they're wrong they're yeah. just equally as irrational and yeah. they choose to believe them and so the question is really the question everyone kind of should be asking and i think this is what dan is asking with steam it is how do you kind of trick those people into abandoning those beliefs and adopting beliefs that are more healthy for them without using force, violence, dishonesty, manipulation, stuff like that, you know? Yeah, well, I, this, I could, this was a, a question that was in my mind. Uh, something just popped into my head some, some months ago. I thought, you know, if uh, ev everybody in the world is, is, is driven by, by incentives, people are encouraged and discouraged to, uh, to do things. If you really wanted to change the world, you would change the incentives. And I mentioned that to my friend and she was like, that's very hard to do. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but that's that's what Steemit does. Because <laughs> it encourages yes. people to, to offer it's, value it, and be good. You're absolutely right. How do you change the incentives? And as of now, the state of the art answer to that question is you don't. You combine the information in your brain with the information in as many people's brains as possible and you solve the problem together. That's what crowdsourcing is. You combine, you create a neural network of neural networks, right? Our brains are neural networks. You merge your neural network with other neural networks and you leverage that super network 
to solve problems that individuals look at and go, that's fucking impossible. You can't do that. Yeah, of course you can't do that. You can't do shit. You can't do anything. Individual humans are dumb and powerless. But together, we're gods. As an organism, we're gods, you know? And then, so, of course, as individuals, we're gods, too. But, um... <laughs> you bring it out of me. You bring the, the, spiritual, the spiritual talk out of me. Um, but, yes, and that's just crowdsourcing. That's just, you know, like... What you did with her is what I try to do with everything. It's what I try to do with the video that I'll be releasing today is you break it down into a first principle. It's, in, it's about the incentives. How do you change the incentives? You let the crowd do it. <laughs> the end. That's the answer. That's the, it does boil down to that. Of course, how are they going to do it is an infinitely complex answer that you don't know, that you can't know. And people who believe irrationally that they need to know how something is going to work before it, they need to know how a problem is going to be solved before it's solved. That's a very irrational belief. Um, they don't get, they, they, they can't think like that. They don't get this. They go, tell me the answer. How is this going to work? How is steam it going to continue to grow over time? Exactly. Yeah, you got me. I have no idea. You know, and you don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow, <laughs> you know, and you don't know how yeah, the fuck, I guess, you, you know, you don't know how you're going to walk out of your apartment tomorrow and you're going to go to a restaurant and they're going to feed you food. You have no idea how complex it is to get you that food into your mouth and you fucking do it and you know, it's going to happen. You know, it's going to work because good systems work. And that's really what democracy and capitalism are both fundamentally about. I'm not saying I am for democracy or for capitalism, but that is the nugget of truth that those ideologies embrace, which is that only by working together, only in the aggregate, can we solve, can we solve our, our problems. And uh, we don't know how we're going to do it. We just know that if we want to do it, we can do it. We can solve any problem. We can really actually solve it. I've yet to encounter a problem we couldn't solve if we all really wanted to. I mean, that doesn't mean we should try to solve any problem, but like, what couldn't we do? Yeah, it's hard, yeah, it's hard to think of something if you... Yeah. We can't be something other than what we are, but we can make anything, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, you know, we're the conscious... We're the conscious mind of the universe, so... <laughs> we're as powerful as the universe i think maybe yeah i, <laughs> um, I suspect so <laughs> um by the way yeah does that you, yeah mm -hmm. have you ever read the dice man the what the dice man no i don't think so what is it no okay it's a it's a novel i think it's it's partly uh true and it's about a fellow uh one day i think is he's, he's he's finishing a, a card game and he's cleaning up and he sees a, a, a dice laying under a playing card. Uh, and he... Uh, it's a, kind of an odd start to the story. But he says, if I turn over that playing card and the, the dice is, has a, a six face up, then I'm going to go downstairs and rape my best friend's wife. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, I have not read this book. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, hard to forget. But the um, the a lot of the concepts in the book are about uh, like oh, that's it. That's like the uh, that's like the um, inciting incident. That's like the beginning of the book. That's yes, that's or, the beginning. So after that, he kind of decides that he's going to live his life according to the dice. Like if he if he throws the dice and and something comes up, uh, then you know that's he has to do it, um, or you know flip flip a coin or whatever it is. Um, and so he gets into all these odd experiences because of it. Um, and I'm pretty sure that some of, at least some of the book is really true because this this guy seems uh, i've seen a, an interview or two and he seems to be um he he definitely believes some of the ideas that he talks about in the book but uh the idea is kind of to let go of your identity and that beliefs are kind of uh unhealthy something like that um uh it's an interesting book i i recommend it yeah, yeah, no, that that sounds like a good book, and I have no doubt that I, I that doesn't sound like the kind of book you can write if you don't philosophically understand what you're, you know, like yes. that's such a weird, crazy concept that that has to betray at least some of his philosophical beliefs, and I and I, I kind of get yes. it. Like I had a similar experience with a friend of mine. He's a he's a political. Scientist, political economist. He's an academic. He's at, out of a, like a like a top tier university in the states. He's like a legit. He's a PhD, and um, and we were talking, and I was like, and this is kind of like a, a subsection of of what the guy in that book does. It's 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 not quite as ambitious, but I was like, I don't think you can spend money badly. I don't think it's possible. To spend money badly. Uh, even if you, uh, if you took out $1,000 out of the bank right now and you just threw it in the air, right? And so, like, to draw the parallel with your book, like, imagine he flipped the dice. And, or, sorry, or, you know, he rolled the dice and he said, if the dice comes up at six, I'm going to take out $1,000 and I'm going to just throw it out in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, explain to me how that's bad, <laughs> you know, um, because at the very least, he's a, he's a guy who just took $1,000 out of the bank and just threw it out into the air and then just let anybody pick it up. That's pretty cool. Why is that bad? <laughs> Why is that bad? And so I, I, that, that story does resonate with me because it's kind of this idea of, you know, do something. Do something and see what happens, and yeah, yeah, you know, a little uh, chaos. Yeah, a, a little chaos. I mean, I would still say that, and I'm I'm certainly open to to, to really any any other view on this. But I would just say that from my personal perspective, I, I you would never. It's not really possible to abandon your moral code, your moral compulsions. Uh, what you believe to be virtuous action, but I think the beauty of games like that, I mean, really, that's just a game, um, but the beauty of an exercise like that is that it really pushes your taboos, your ideological beliefs to the limit, you know? And so, so for example, the fact, so, so a human who could roll a dice and say, well, if this comes up six, I'll rape somebody, 
It's a fundamentally different person than me. You know, I'm not, (laughs) right? So that that really tells you something about them. Now, I'm actually, this is going to sound bad, but I'm actually not judging that person. Um, But I am saying that that's never a game that I would play. But that's what it forces you to do. It forces you to push your moral code to the boundaries because people have so many beliefs, so, so many beliefs that are purely irrational. They're not like, so, so the belief that you should not rape is an irrational belief. There's no real reason for it. Aside from, it would be the worst thing you could ever do. It would destroy your life and, and it would destroy your soul. I could not live. I could not live with that. You know, and, uh, and like, presumably the, the, the never life of the it. victim. Knowing that I'd done that to another person would yeah. destroy me. That doesn't make it a rational belief. Um, but there is other stuff like what I talked about before, like going to work every day. Like, you know, even a lot of people I've met a lot. I live in New York City. So if you're in the workforce here, there's a lot of opportunity that, you know, I would say that that's my perspective on it. And yet you meet a lot of people who don't like their jobs, who know that they could get another job, probably making more money, who just go, yeah, that's scary. I don't want to do it. I don't have enough time, which is fine. Hmm. But that's an irrational belief, too. And, you know, if Hmm. you if that person made that leap of going, I'm going to roll a dice for these decisions, right? Like take some of that weight off of themselves. If I roll a six, I'm going to quit my job. I'm not going to wait till I have something lined up. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to ask whether, uh, you know, I can do better. I mean, why don't people take less money for a better job? Like that's something nobody (laughs) I've ever met does. Like take less money. Like you make 60 grand. Okay. I mean, dream job, 40 grand, live cheap, live with roommates. (laughs) you know? I, do, I do remember I took a job once, which was like, instead of being, let's see, I think I had a, a choice between a few jobs. And one was like $20 an hour and one was like 16 Australian dollars. Uh, and I was like, I think uh, the, the lower paying one, uh, I can walk into the office in casual gear every day of the week. So I was like, yeah, that's the, that's the job I want. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's smart. And 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 just just to be clear, I'm not I'm not ju- this this is not about judgment. It's also um, not not about me. So like I, you know, so so I I actually do believe that so human beings are effectively identical uh, on a like informational level. So w- when I'm talking about somebody else. I am very aware that I'm talking about myself and both on a philosophical and a very real level. I'm not saying I always make great decisions. There's tons of Mm. like like my parents invited me to go out to Venice, Italy in a month and I don't want to go. I don't want to go. There's no good reason. Why do I not want to go to Venice, Italy? You know, with my parents, they're, they're good people. You know, I'm just afraid to travel with, I don't even know. It's just this (laughs) irrational belief. And so like, this is something we all struggle with. And that's why I would like 
this game. And that's why we like reading books like that, I think, is because we go, oh, yeah, it's, it's, this, this adventure. is... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and this is about me. This is, you know, like, you probably are reading that book going, wow, what if I did that? What if I did that for some of the things? I mean, I yeah. think the natural yeah. tendency would be to, to take the decisions you're having the most difficulty with and to flip a coin for it, to be the Joker. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. have a, I have a video about the Dark Knight that I'm, that I'm going to be making. Okay. Um, but I don't want to give out any secrets. But yeah, like the right. Joker. It's, oh, oh, sorry, it's, it's like Two Face, like Two Face, yeah. right? He uh, just yeah, flips yeah, yeah. a coin. You yeah. just make the decision. <laughs> well, I have um, this idea and, that, uh, that the entire mm. universe is is made up of of what ifs. So what mm. what if, what if I go to the store right now, or what if I don't eat today? What if what if I work in a in a nine to five job for ten years of my life with for no reason? What if what if? And it's all you know. There's all this possibility, and some of it. Some of them we see play out, but they're all kind of there. <laughs> yeah, and well, you know, it, a, a word that I that I like that is very amorphous is enlightenment, hmm. and understanding that stuff you just said—it's very; those are very enlightened thoughts that um, that I think more people can benefit. This that understanding. That there is no reality, there's just this infinite number of what-ifs, is, I think, what I call very enlightened. Because it's, it's understanding that, like, you can pick your what-ifs, you know? If it's all about what-ifs, like, are you entertaining as many what-ifs as possible, or are you stopping at the one that people tell you to stop on, that you know feels the best that feels the safest whatever you know why are you picking your what ifs and why are you limiting your what ifs to the to the what ifs you're limiting yourself to <laughs> yeah yeah because a lot of people will just stick with the first one for some reason and be like you know you could you could sell everything you own and, and backpack through croatia um, what if <laughs> it's right there it's an option so but my friend told me she was depressed, uh, and I said, well, what, what are you going to do about it? And, and she said, well, of course I'm going to go to the therapist. And, it, um, I mean, what, what can I do? And I said, well, you could do – I mean, you, you don't have to go to a therapist. There, there are about a million things you could do. You could go to Paris. You could, uh, you could ride a bicycle every day. You could eat chocolate. Um, uh, write a symphony. I don't know. I mean, there's a, <laughs> it could be a, any amount of things. I, I don't know exactly which one is, is going to make you feel better, but, <laughs> but there are definitely options. <laughs> well, she has a, so, well, so, the, you know, the popular narrative, I mean, all, all of the stuff that we're talking about are limitations that are placed on the individual by culture. You know, and mm. culture is great. Society is great, but it has side effects. It has bad side effects. And one of the things our culture tells us is that if there's something going on with your mind that is deemed by society at large to be, I mean, largely, you know, aberrant, divergent, mm. that it's a disease. And so if you have a disease, the only logical question to ask is what medicine can I take for this disease? 
And, um, and that's why, you know, and, and so like, I mean, that, that is very in keeping with what we're talking about. It's like, okay, so what she's asking herself is what if the, my mood is a disease and there's a pill that can cure it? Well, unfortunately for her, we actually know the answer to that question. And it's that, that does, that's not true. <laughs> you don't have a disease and there are no pills that can cure yeah. that disease. Um, Fortunately, but, she was she was more thinking about psychotherapy rather than psychiatry, so it's slightly. Oh, that is good. Yeah. yeah, 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 and and that's a good point. Um, and and hopefully, and and I think what a good therapist does, right? So so that's a good point. That's a little, I was a little off base, but you know, it it is that question of you know what what ifs are you entertaining? Are you entertaining the possibility? that the key to your depression is ending, you know, what if you ended that relationship you're in that you think is good, but that makes you unhappy all the time and, you know, it's not really healthy or or whatever. Or what if it's going to couples therapy? And even though you think you have a healthy relationship, you might not have a healthy relationship and you need an, an outside individual to come in and to give a third party perspective, you know. Or what if, you know, you need to move someplace else. As you said, what if you don't like where you live? What if you're too close to your parents? What if you're too far away from your parents? You know, yeah. increasing yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the scope. Cool thing, the cool thing, even here in, in Mexico, even if you do ask the question, what kind of medicine uh, can I take? People are, uh, people are very open about different kinds of medicine. So I can go down to, to a herbalist and buy some herbs for like 10 pesos, like 50, 50 cents. Uh, and I don't know if they'll cure depression or, you know, I could go to a shaman, a magnet therapist, Reiki, whatever. There's all these different um, schools of medical thought. Uh, and, you know, one of them's probably good. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, that's the um, what, what people who ascribe to, I mean, you know, people who ascribe to that, to kind of free market ideology of economics you know that's that's the point that they're making is that which i'm not saying i'm anti or pro uh most of these are still ideologies but like Mm -hmm. that's one of the nice things about mexico from from what i hear from you and from others is that in many ways it's a freer market than here and when you have a free market you have options and you know you have more potential and you have more economic growth, and, and that is, and I mean, that's, that is part of what I want to be involved in promoting, is expanding the realm of possibilities available to human beings, and that, yes, that you should be able to pursue any form of treatment you want. You should be able to, you know, every option should be available to you, Obviously, as long as you're not hurting anybody I like or me, <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, and really, you know, the, the most intelligent advocates of free market capitalism, of anarcho capitalism, that's all they're saying. That's all they're getting at. And it's a totally valid point, you know, and, and anybody who ignores that is themselves really limiting themselves on, on like in a in a kind of tragic way. Um, yes, yes. But well, it is, it is interesting to, how, yeah. Yeah, 
No, just that how Mexico is has, appeals to people like you. Is <laughs> yeah, it, like yeah. what were you? Yeah, what were uh, you going to say? I, I was just going to say I hope I hope you come down to Anacapulco next year and and check it out. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a hundred percent sold on the the idea of anarcho capitalism or voluntarism. I did. I mean, I I think you're. You know, you're going to agree with the, a lot of the people there. Oh, no, it sounds like a blast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I would say I 100% agree with voluntarism. Yeah. Well, great. Because that seems like a really hard thing to disagree with. And I would also say yeah. I would have no problem. But here, here's the thing. I would have no problem with people referring to me. And by me, I mean the cloud of molecules that people describe use, you know, <laughs> right? They can call me an anarchist, they can call me a libertarian, they can call me an anarcho-capitalist, they can call me a libertarian socialist, they can call me a socialist if they really want to, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm socialist to the only extent it makes sense, you know, uh, which is libertarian socialism. Um, you know, do I think of myself these ways? No. But, um, but... You know, the thing I like about anarchism is to me, anarchism is to pol political ideologies as atheism is to religion, which is, isn't really an analogy I invented. But, you know, you can call me an atheist because I don't believe in any religions. Do I like feel like an atheist? No, of course not. I'm not walking <laughs> around all day going, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Muhammad. I don't believe I'm just a person, you know. <laughs> And that's, and, and that's, to me, what anarchism is. It's not belief in a specific political ideology. It's lack of belief in a political ideology. And, um, and then anarcho-capitalism is going, okay, I don't, you know, but I, I, I don't, I, I understand what's going on here. You're playing this little game where you call yourself a Democrat and you call yourself a Republican. And that's how you think society should be organized. But, you know, we have this thing called capital and we're really talking about money and it's a very efficient way of allocating resources. Perfectly legitimate. That's just like a rational argument. You know, it's just a very reasonable, logical argument. Yeah, it's and like that, a, you know, like like uh Occam's razor like okay so what's the what's the minimum amount of of entities that we need for for this to function and if government isn't if we can't justify government then maybe we should just put that aside for the moment <laughs> yeah i mean well you know government as defined by the utilization of force mm. is uh, is illegitimate you know, um, you know, usually w when people start disagreeing with each other, what they're disagreeing on is their definition of government. Um, like, yeah. you know, they're, they're libertarian socialists or even I think I think where most socialists diverge from anarchists and anarcho capitalists and libertarians is that they believe that government can be nonviolent. You know, so they're using a different definition of government. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the problem with that argument is that they go, how can you say we don't need government? It just shouldn't be so violent and so, so aggressive. And you're just like, yeah, what? Yeah, that's not government. <laughs> to you know, totally illegitimate argument. 
You know, and they're like, and then they're yeah. like, no, you just want everything to be about money and you want poor people to die. And, you know, and then it's just like, yeah, that's obviously not. Into a, that's into not a shit fight. But, you know, yeah. the, cool, the cool thing is like, uh, like with with my buddy Kenny and a few of his friends that, that came along uh, to to Anarchapulco, um, they, they don't really believe in capitalism exactly. I mean, it. Um, some of them don't believe that that uh, the the means of production should should have should be able to have one owner or it should be owned by the community. But you know they they accept these ideas like hey don't rob people don't kill people and you know it's great. So so they have uh, um, you know they get involved in like uh, rainbow what do they call them? Rainbow gatherings and and uh, little communities where people share and get together and 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 work together and you know that's that stuff is all all good <laughs> yeah well i i think that's a a really interesting point which maybe we should end on because this is running a little long yep. i also have to pee really bad <laughs> sure uh, um which is that it, it, it comes back to steam it which is that when you have systems that are designed based on these principles that we're that we're talking about that we believe in what's so amazing about these principles what's so amazing about anarchic libertarian voluntarist principles is that when people enter the system they're not cognizant or aware of any of these philosophical concepts they just experience it as an awesome environment you know, so steam it is, I guess you could call it anarcho-capitalistic, but to me, it seems libertarian socialistic. I don't think there's really, a, a, you know, because, right, because everybody owns it, you, you know, by, by, you know, the, all the users own shares of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, but not everybody who uses steam it is an anarcho-capitalist or even a libertarian there. It seems like there's tons of socialists on it, many of whom I like vehemently disagree with, but that's an amazing credit to it, right? That these people come in and they don't go, this is capitalistic. They just go, this is fucking awesome. And they don't realize that <laughs> on, on some level they are confirming the philosophy behind it, the anarchic, the libertarian, philosophical tenets behind it. So like even by being socialistic within the ecosystem, they're actually validating uh, an, an ideological ideological beliefs that are that they consciously believe that they disagree with. But unconsciously, they just they, they have to agree with it in order to enjoy it. That's the power of like libertarianism, the way I see it, maybe. Yes. Cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's right. very cool. Thanks for listening, guys. So I, I think we're we're all a bit richer having uh, experienced some of Andrew's um, passion and excitement and interesting ideas. Um, so thanks very much to, to Andrew for agreeing to that uh, interview and having a chat with me. And remember to jump on over to, well, of course, go to... Uh, Andrew's Steemit page www.steemit.com slash at Andrachy that's A-N-D-R-A-C-H-Y so you can 
check out the stuff that, that he's putting on there. Remember to jump on over to um, steamit.com slash at paradise dash paradox so you can uh, check out the articles we've got in there. And please, if you like the content, please sign in and give us an upvote because that will help us a lot. Uh, we appreciate uh, the, uh, the attention and the, the comments that you give on there as well. So that's about it. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Enjoy life, love one another, be cool, and do what you want. Later.